the most action-packed content from the top mobile experts. This is the App Masters Podcast with Steve P. Young. Give your users options by adding rewarded surveys into your app monetization mix with Theorem Reach. They are the leading survey monetization company in the digital space. Learn more at theoremreach.com. AppRadar helps you accelerate your mobile growth through their simple ASO platform, and they set up optimized Apple search ads to help you scale up your user acquisition. Check them out at appradar.com. What is up, App Nation? Welcome to another Friday YouTube live stream where we really look at your apps, share what's working, and I always try to find a good guest because frankly, I'm sick of talking all the time and I really wanted to get this guy on. He was going to do a podcast interview with me and I said, you know what, David, why don't you just come on to the YouTube live stream? You're a great indie success story and then we can answer a lot of questions from the audience as well. And so he said, agreed, and we bumped it up and now he's here. So if you guys aren't familiar with this guy right here, he is David Barnard. He is the founder of Contrast really great apps, Launch Center Pro being one of them. So go check out his apps th through the website, contrast.co. And he just recently joined as a developer advocate for Revenue Cat. So if you got a subscription-based app, we're going to talk a lot about subscriptions and how David's been able to generate millions of downloads for his apps, get multiple Apple features, and actually exit a few of his apps for multiple, for like seven figures plus. Right, David? Uh close to seven figures. <laughs> okay. I was looking through your website, your personal website as well, kind of going through some research, but welcome. Welcome to the show, David. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for having me. It's always great to chat. You and I go way back. I, I forget that, uh, or you may forget, but I was part of your Facebook mastermind for a little yeah, bit. I remember yeah, we had yeah, some yeah. conversations about some ASO tactics too. Yeah, we did. <laughs> <laughs> back in the day when it was fun stuff. So I want to give some shout outs. So Danny's here. What's up, Daniel? And then we've got Flutteris, cool. It looks like it's an app name. And then we've got, hi, Steve. So Prishanshu, welcome. And then Joe is here. What's up, Joe? Hi, David and Steve. All right, David, let's, let's start with this, man. Like with some of the app ideas that you've been able to generate, like tell me about how you think about the app ideas. I know I read through it and you're like, hey, I just really wanted to create an app for myself. But talk to me about any type of market research you do when you're thinking about app ideas. Yeah, I mean, over the years, I've I've done a ton of market research and and thought a lot about this. Like, what you know, so when you have the resources to build an app, figuring out what to build, and, and when you're good at building apps, I mean, I built twenty plus apps over the last twelve years. The, the the question of what to build becomes more and more and more important to prioritize your time and build the best possible. So. Um, I'll be honest, though. I mean, I feel like I'm the like starving artist indie developer that that keeps like shooting himself in the foot. So like, I went into the weather category because I just wanted a weather app, and I did enough market research to understand how competitive the weather category was going to be. But I didn't fully anticipate just how brutal it would be going into such a competitive space, mm -hmm. and and that actually led to a lot of what I've like kind of gotten been known for over the last three or four years 
uh, kind of calling out subscription scams and like kind of pushing Apple on some of their app store policies and, and their search algorithm and their uh, kind of fraud detection and, and things like that. So, so like as I got into the weather space, it's like really fun to build a weather app. And we have some really cool stuff coming for iOS 14 with uh, uh, widgets and uh, complications on watchOS 7. Um, so so it's, it's really fun building a weather app and building like the weather app you want to use because it's, it's a daily driver, right? I mean, pretty much everybody uses a weather app on a daily basis. But what, what you find when you start doing deeper research into some of these categories, especially like weather, is that in these bigger, more competitive categories, there's a lot of shady stuff going on. <laughs> And then on top of like the shady stuff, you just have some really sophisticated players. So like if you want to go build a wallpaper app, it's like, oh, wow, look at all these wallpaper apps making so much money. I should build a wallpaper app. I actually went down that road in March and it was like spent mm-hmm. probably like probably 20 hours total researching and talking to people and stuff. And what I realized is, yeah, there's a bunch of crappy wallpaper apps that are making a ton of money, but they're not making a ton of money by building a great product. They're making a and that's like, I want to build a great product. Yeah. And so it's just a different approach to things. And so in the, in the weather space and the wallpaper space and like a lot of these like high traffic keyword spaces, you have a lot of very sophisticated players who have the money to spend on um, marketing. They have the teams to dial in monetization. They, uh, they use, I mean, some of them use dark patterns and how they get people to sign up for subscriptions. And like, if you're just trying to build a great product and go into these competitive categories, I mean, you're bringing a, was it bringing a gun to a knife fight? Like you're going to get outplayed at every turn. Um, so I think, you know, I mean, I can get more into like specifics of market research, but I think that that, that probably helps more than some of the specifics is just to understand that like what you think you see doing market research, like understanding which categories generate downloads and the apps that are making a lot of money, like you're not really doing market research until you like really understand why those apps are successful at the level they are. And, and, and I think so many developers make the mistake that thinking that they can just go into a competitive market with a better product and that people are going to find it and download it. And Apple's going to feature Apple's featured my apps, the weather app app, like 10 times. It was like app of the day. It was on the new apps we love. It's, I mean, it's been all over the place on the app store. Did that like make it successful? No. And, and like, you gotta, and I mean, so there's, then there's like layers of mistakes that I've made with weather up. Like, you know, I, the monetization is not dialed in. Like we need to do better with, you know, communicating the value props. We, we need better value props. I mean, it's a competitive space. So like people have really high expectations. So anyway, so, so in doing market research, it's like there's just layers and layers and layers that you need to understand to, to build a successful product in a market as competitive as the App Store. And I'm glad you brought that up, David. The when developers do see like, Hey, this is a crappy app. I can build a way better product on this. I think the most successful indie app developer stories that I've seen that I've actually been able to work with are people who come from the marketing background. Like right. they have an affiliate marketing background. They know Facebook ads they They got that, all that dialed in and then they're able to launch an app and the, the product itself is good. Right. Yeah. But the marketing is extremely solid and they've been, that's how they've been really able to sustain that indie app lifestyle yeah. and also just be like yeah like really generate millions of downloads and generate millions of do- dollars per year 
And, and a perfect example of this is actually one of my pet competitors that I have a ton of respect for, and that is uh, Carrot Weather. So he went into the weather space, not just with a great product, which it is a great product, but he went into it with a differentiated distribution um, edge. And that this is something, so uh, I, I'm probably gonna be building a new app at some point this fall. And the developer I work with on that, he and I have been talking a lot about finding a differentiated distribution angle. So, so what Brian did with Carrot Weather, and funny enough, actually, I kind of inspired Carrot Weather. I, I tweeted, DM'd him. It's yeah. a, kind of a funny story because he's been so successful with it. And I had a weather app at the same time. And I told him he should build a, like, because he had these uh, a fitness app where it's like it, it, it like berated you if you didn't like work <laughs> yeah. out hard enough and stuff like that. And I was like, dude, you need to do this for weather because funnier oh, really? die had funnier die had come out with a weather app. Yeah. And I was like, dude, you're like carrot brand would be perfect for weather. Um, and he he DM'd me like a month later. He's like, I'm actually building that. And I was like, cool, dude, do it. And so, but what what this is is like he has a differentiated distribution edge. The the cocky weather robot thing is unique. It's differentiated. It's mm. it's interesting. People share it. People talk about it. People go to the app store and search carrot weather because they want this like crazy powerful sassy weather app that like and th but then I mean here's an important part. I say that product doesn't. I, earlier I was kind of insinuating product doesn't matter, but it, it absolutely matters because he actually built a great product to back it up. So so you have a distribution you need a differentiated distribution edge, but then you need a great product to back it up. Because if you have a great product to back it up, you're going to get the renewals. Like, I mean, he's had subscribers for like four, four or five years now, like since very early on, because he built a differentiated product and he's continue iterating and adding new features and making it better and better. And um, I mean, he's just killing it. And he's, I don't think he's ever done any paid marketing um, you know, he's not super high in like ASO, like searches for weather and stuff. Cause I watch that closely cause I want to be higher in those, uh, rankings and stuff. Um, but yeah, he's built a fantastic business. Um, and I, I mean, I don't know exactly how much he's making, but you know, estimates, I, I, well, I mean, uh, now that I'm at revenue cat and, um, uh, I asked my colleagues, I don't have like direct access to all the data or anything, but mm -hmm. I'll ask my colleague, like, is this sensor tower thing? Right. Cause like <laughs> I thought they were making like sensor tower is, is pretty off. Um, really? And yeah. And I've been able to, to double check it on my own apps and a lot of apps over the years. And theoretically app, um, app Annie is better on the accuracy, but I mean, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, sensor tower can be like orders of magnitude off. So oh, just a, the in the ballpark, though. It. In the ballpark, he may be in the that 30K a month range. Yeah, 30K yeah. a month. All right. Hey, David, we got a lot of questions coming in. Yep, so yep, yep. if you guys got questions, make sure you leave it in the comments below as well. The one thing I want to get into is you've gotten so much love from Apple. You've gotten so much press out of it, too. And a lot, some of these questions are about, like, how do you go about launching an app? So you want to walk us through some of your launch strategies? Sure. Um so historically, you know, we were just talking about like differentiated distribution edge. I think historically I've really seen my ability to get press and get featured by Apple as that differentiator. Like it's going to help me launch my app into um, a larger audience right off the bat. Um, even for me with really great contacts that has gotten harder and harder over the years, like, 
you know, big sites don't care as much about um, apps anymore. You know, like TechCrunch isn't writing about individual apps unless it's just something really interesting. Um, but but the way I've done that in the past is is really just getting good at storytelling. So like you know if you if you go back and search Weather Up and then Weather Atlas before that, it was in like TechCrunch or The Verge and big sites like that um, because I found compelling stories to tell. So like when Weather Atlas, which was we just rebranded it to Weather Up, but it launched as Weather Atlas. Um, when we were releasing that in 2017, there were rumors of the taller iPhone 10. And so I positioned it as and told the story around like we are building this app for the future of devices. And it's really it wasn't like I just was BSing. Um, so that's Weather Up. If you search Weather Atlas TechCrunch, it'll 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 show you the original launch in 2017. And so the I positioned it as like we're building this app for the future. And it really was true that and I, it says what designed for iPhone 8 because we didn't know it was going to be called the iPhone 10. Everybody just thought the tall iPhone was going to be called the iPhone 8. Um, but but I told a true story. So I wasn't just like BSing or like writing a narrative. Like we saw the rumors and we built an app around thinking about vertical space not being a constraint and mm -hmm. and how would you develop how would you design a weather app where vertical space is a lesser constraint <clears throat> and so if you scroll up you can see that like we built it where you can see the the um radar and the weather mm -hmm. map and the data in the same pane and it's a card interface where you can slope it up and down and so then we built this and then we told the story like hey we built this for the iPhone Eight, iPhone 10. And that's interesting, right? People want to like iPhone, the rumors around the iPhone 8 and 10, that, around the iPhone 8 were really hot at the time. Everybody's talking about what's Apple going to do. Leaks were happening and everything. And so I found a compelling story that was true because I, I don't like, you're not going to get very far like BSing a story and trying to pitch it. But like, if you find something that's going on and have a compelling story to tell around that, you can get that kind of attention. And then, then that second one that um, the other post that you were showing on TechCrunch was another story around um, just creating a really differentiated feature. So we launched um, calendar events in your weather feed. And so, that was like a really unique feature mm. that hadn't been seen. And so when you have a daily driver weather app um, and you introduce something that's really unique, like it, it can get attention because you're telling a unique story that people actually care about because they care about weather apps. Um, so, so my advice would be to look for those interesting stories that you can tell and then um, find ways to pitch those stories around like, it, around the audience and why they should care. So like if you're pitching Apple, why does Apple care? Apple cares about pushing their, and you've talked about this a ton, yeah. but I'll just reiterate, but you know, Apple cares about like the new widgets in iOS 14. They're going to care about that. They're going to care about, they cared about AR and pitched and featured a lot of apps around AR. They care about, you know, adopting all these technologies that they're pushing. They care about selling their devices. They care about, making money via subscription. So like being a subscription app, I think does give an edge right now for getting featured by Apple. Um, so it's like you, you think about your audience and if you're pitching Apple, like tell them a story they care about. If you're pitching the press, 
tell them a story they care about. What do they care about? They care about people reading their story. They care about their audience feeling like TechCrunch is valuable and that they're not just posting random stories about random crap, but actually posting stories that people care about. So you, and, and so again, like telling a story about this rumored tall iPhone was a compelling, interesting thing that, that, that the writer thought their audience would want to read about. So, so, and then when you're telling a story to customers, like you need to understand in your screenshots, like what story you're telling those customers, where are they coming from and all that kind of stuff. So, so I think that the edge there is really storytelling. And then I will say, I've been talking to a lot of developers lately who about how getting in TechCrunch and The Verge and sites like that is probably actually not the best. Like we didn't actually do very well from those stories. Like people, it's just a drive-by thing. It's a huge audience, but like you just don't, don't have just people see it and they're like, oh, another weather app, whatever. Um, where I've seen developers be a lot more successful, um, buddy of mine runs an RV app and he got a ton of downloads one day. He's like, dude, how do I find out where these downloads came from? Like they just came out of nowhere. And turns out it was a small YouTube channel, or I don't know exactly how many, but it was a relatively small YouTube channel that you wouldn't think could drive the kind of traffic. Like he probably got more downloads than I got from a TechCrunch uh, um, um, uh, story, but it's because it was a very focused audience on YouTube that cared deeply about RVs. And this guy got on and um, talked about this RV app organically because they liked it. And so it drove a ton of downloads. So what I've been talking to, especially like more like indie folks who aren't, you know, funded and don't have a PR rep who can go pitch to TechCrunch and The Verge um, and, and whether or not that's even valuable for a lot of startups is, is debatable, but go after the smaller niche sites and audiences that, um, that really care about your product and then tell them the story that they're going to care about. And so a perfect example of this, and we could, uh, I'll, I can get you the link and we can put it in show notes or whatever, but um, Darius Mora works at Reflectly and he did an AMA with, uh, I, uh, I run a private forum for subscription app developers and he did an AMA on there and then recorded the answers as a YouTube video. So, so the answers are public. Um, but he's been doing some really fascinating influencer marketing on uh, for Reflectly, but he's not going after the like, you know, million followers and those kind of influencers. He's going after micro influencers and then paying them to promote the product and then using those videos as ads. And so whether or not you can like pay the micro influencers or whatever, if, if you can focus on these niche audiences that really care and tell them the right story, I think that's, that's better than these days. It's probably better than trying to go after a tech crunch or something like that. So true, Javi. And Darius has done a YouTube live stream and podcast episode with us talking about that similar nice, strategy. Nice. So just go back into the archives. It's a few weeks ago when we first started the YouTube live stuff. Darius was one of our first guests to come on and share that story. But phenomenal story. And I agree with you. I have a friend of mine who has a weather app as well where he just curses. Like, it's going to be effing hot today. <laughs> and he said, look, I've been on these big sites too. But the best downloads came from a little blogger, like a college blogger, just talking yep. about the app, super niche, and he got way more downloads that way. So the more yep. targeted the audience, the better that you can get it. So it could be YouTube, it could be Instagram, it could be a blog, anything, but 
you know, it's cool to be on these TechCrunch sites, but again, the traction might not be there. All right. And it's really hard. That's the thing. It's like, I can't, I can't sit here and say I like, know, right? do this, this, and this, and you're going to be on TechCrunch. It's like, like, it's like, you gotta, yeah, it, it's, it's I'm not so advice that's replicable. Yeah. Well, but again, what are you I jealous of? Right? I, like, I pitched Sarah a bunch of times and she's never said yes. It's one of these things where it's like, it's just nice to have type of thing. It's like a, yeah, like a trophy. It's like, you know, like all my trophies yeah. over there, they're sitting there, but it's kind of like nobody really cares about it. But it's it. a trophy. It's not money in the bank. You know? <laughs> exactly. And like, I mean, that's where like a lot of like a, a PR firm that's charging, you know, $10,000 a placement or something like, yeah. I did not, I maybe got hundreds of dollars worth of value out of that story. It's not a like $10,000 value. So, yeah. Cool. All right. Let's get into some of the questions. I want to say hi to Fawn, who's in Vietnam. Dude, it must be late over there. So thanks for staying up, Fawn. All right. And we've got some questions from some people. All right. All right. I love this question from Joe because you've experienced selling multiple apps too. When you're building an app, do you have a focus on eventually selling it or you build it to like sort of dominate a field? What does that look like? What's your approach when you're building the app? Um, I mean, I've always really just focused on building good product. Like, I, I mean, you're, if you sell, you're going to sell because it's, if you, if you're able to make money and find a good buyer and make it worth selling, it has to be a good business. So what, what you need to focus on is just building a good business. Like, um, I mean, you know, people are, people are buying apps that aren't dominating a category if they're a good business. So if, you know, like I may eventually sell my weather up app, but what I know it's going to take to make it an interesting acquisition and make it worth me selling is for it to be a good business. So if I have, uh, you know, 20,000 subscribers and my churn rate is relatively low because it's a great product. Well, that's a great acquisition target. Um, so, so the kinds of things that, that you have to do to be a good acquisition target is, is have some sort of sustainable, repeatable marketing advantage. Like what we've been talking about, it's like all the things that play into building a good product or business is what plays into making it a good flip. Um, so, so if, if you have a, a repeatable way to go out and buy users and you're, you know, buying users for a dollar making, have an LTV of two, then, you know, that's a great acquisition target. But if you're spending, you know, $2 a user and, and I mean, so most acquirers are going to look at your net profit. So if you're spending a ton of money on marketing and you have really high top line revenue, but you're not actually making any money on that, you, you're going to get pennies. But if you've got like good organics coming in, so like one of the apps I sold was a mirror, it's called mirror. It was a total fluke. I didn't build it to flip. I just built it for fun because the front facing camera was coming out on the iPhone four. Um, you know, this is like ages ago, I think it's 2010 and the app just slowly built up and then got to the point where it was doing four or 5,000 organics a day from search. Um, people go search web, uh, mirror and then it was the top result for that. And, and again, it's like, there's not like, it's really hard to, to, to accomplish that, especially in, on a keyword like mirror that, that a ton of, uh, that has a ton of competition. Um, but it built up over time. And then I did really great working on monetization with ads and interstitials and things like that. And then once it was actually a really good business, making reliable money without me spending much time, then it was like a really interesting acquisition target. Um, 
so yeah, I think that that's probably a pretty good overview, like just build a good business and, and that's, uh, that'll make it flippable. I like it. And on the topic of app ideas and building an app, Vignek says, do you validate an app idea before you pick and start working on it? Absolutely. <laughs> How do you I mean, do that? that's, what I was, that's what I was talking about with the, with the, um, with the wallpaper research. So, I mean, you know, I have not, when I say I validated app ideas, I mean, I, I have not like done some of the kind of like, which I probably should, but like building a landing site and driving traffic to it and seeing what people, how people respond. Um, I think like there's a lot of strategies like that that are smart um, and I probably should do more of it, but I take a much broader approach. Like if I'm going to build an app, I want to care about it and build something that I think is meaningful. And so, um, so that's where I do the much deeper, like looking for that differentiated um, uh, marketing edge, the differentiated product features, the, uh, you know, business model that, that makes sense. Um, so I, I approach it more from those strategic angles than like these, because, man, I mean, it's the same thing with A-B testing. It's like you can A-B test yourself into, into a terrible product. You can, you can, um, you can go try and validate ideas by pushing traffic to this, this landing page and try and see if people are interested or whatever. But at the end of the day, like the, the, it's a really skewed audience that is coming to the landing page because of the way you advertise, you know, you have to spend a lot of money to get enough traffic to really get like statistically significant information. So, I mean, if anything, I think they're, they're kind of, more direct ways to, to do that. So, um, so what I would recommend, and this is, this is actually something that, that I do, I, I will be more interested in doing in the future is take an app concept and just do user interviews. Just, uh, there's a great tool called user look. I think it's like userlook.co or something like that. And they do really affordable, um, one-on-one, -on -one, um, usability sessions. So like, you know, build a mock-up, uh, pay for user look, some sessions, watch people, talk to people. Um, and I think you'll, you'll probably get better insights from that sort of thing than you do like these, some of these kind of hacky, you know, send traffic to a landing page and trick them into thinking they're downloading an app and see how many people tap the button. Like, you know, I don't know. I just never, I've never been a fan of those kind of tactics. Yeah. What do you think, Steve? I mean, you've probably, you know, tr done more app validation kind of stuff. Well, I, I agree with you. I think the, the user look is very important because one of the things I really hate, David, is when people are like, hey, Steve, check out my app. And then they're like literally showing me how to do everything when they could get so much feedback by just handing me the phone and being like seeing where, what I do with it. And I think doing going through Sensor Tower and while the data might be accurate or not accurate, it gives you a sense of, just figuring out like, are there other types of apps generating top grossing? Like I did this app audit with intermittent fasting apps and I've, I've been intermittent fasting for about two plus years now, but I was like, oh my God, there's like five or six apps in the top grossing, like the top 200 that are making over a hundred thousand dollars to do sensor tower. Now, granted, you know, the data might be somewhat accurate or not accurate, but it's like, okay, there's enough there that says, all right, like this is a pretty simple app idea that I could probably build and generate some money. Obviously do the marketing research and how they're marketing but at the same time like there's a there's a market for this so doing yeah, enough but, of that and that's is where I say you have to yeah but that's where you have to be really careful though again it's like 
well, how, like, I know the yeah. players in that space, like I actually use zero, um, oh, zero. huge fan of them. They're actually yeah. a revenue cat customer as well. Um, but, but understanding what's going on in that market, I won't speak to, to fasting because I know the zero folks and they use revenue cat and stuff, but like, but going back to my example, like wallpapers, it's like, you can validate that category and see that people are making a lot of money, but if you really, if you want to go into that space, don't just leave it at, oh, there's like five wallpaper apps making money in this space. You really need to analyze like, why is this, why is this wallpaper app making a crazy amount of money? And you go download the app, you go through their onboarding, you see they're charging like five bucks a week on yes. subscriptions. <laughs> and you, and then, then you go to like, go to Facebook's um, uh, ad tool and like try and look at like what kind of ads they're running, like how are they acquiring these users? You know, what's their marketing spend? Because another thing a lot of people don't realize is like, okay, sure, like uh, these fasting apps might be making, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars a month, but you don't know if they're spending $500,000 a month to generate $300,000 a month of income. So it looks like this great opportunity but you don't know how they're driving users. You don't know what their conversion funnel looks like. And so the more you can understand the real, um, the real reasons that those niches are being successful and making that kind of money informs whether you want to go into that space or not. Yep. Totally true. And, and then, and then how to create a differentiated experience in that space. I love it. And I love what you brought about Carrot. I know I interviewed, you said, Brian, I forgot the name, but when it was Carrot to do, like I had him on and yeah. we were talking about all about Carrot there. So he built a brand and I think that differentiation, like what is going to make your fasting app different from all the different fasting apps, it just can't be a timer. Like I think people yeah. fall into that trap and be like, that's easy. Like I can just build a timer, but you got to make it a little bit different. And but he, but see, unique? even if it's a different product, that, that's the trap I fell in with my Weather Up app. Yeah, it's like Weather Up is a differentiated app. Like it's a it's a map first app, and a lot of people care about weather maps. Um, and we combine that in a really unique way with cards, where like you get to look at the forecast and also get a peek at the weather app. So like we have a differentiated product. We have the calendar stuff that's that's like very differentiated. But what what you have to what what you need more than a differentiated product, you need both, but you need a differentiated marketing edge. I, like for, for carrot weather, it's the like sassy weather robot. And I, I, I lovingly call it a gimmick. And I've, I've, you know, said this to Brian about carrot weather, like, but it's like gimmick is kind of, uh, has a negative connotation, but I like, to me, I don't see it as just a negative. Like if, if you can build a great gimmick to bring people in, that's great. So, but you just got, you got to find a way, like, not just how is your product going to stand out, but how are you going to get attention for your product? Like, how can you stand out marketing and distribution wise? And that these days is, is in a lot of ways more important than that differentiated product. Cause like a lot of these fasting apps are like, are very similar. Like they're not that yeah, differentiated yeah. from each other, but what they're what like some of the bigger ones are really good at is, is marketing and, and dialing in the conversion funnels and stuff like that. So, so true. So true. So much more important. That's why I've been trying to like in the beginning of the days, podcast was all about growth. Now I'm like trying to think about obviously growth, but at the same time, like monetization, retention, what are those tactics? TNS he's from Facebook. So cool. Like we're getting some Facebook audience as well. We're live on Facebook, but what traffic sources are working well for you, David? Um, 
I mean, really, I, I've done very little paid marketing over the years. So it's it's the success I have had, like with my mirror app and with Gas Cubby back in the day with Launchner Pro, it's it's all organic. So like Launchner Pro did really well with um, word of mouth and it did it Launchner Pro got a lot of consistent um, buzz that 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 kept going. Like it wasn't like I had a big launch and got a bunch of attention and then it just died down. It was like people would talk about launching a pro and like videos would pop up on YouTube about people describing how they use it and stuff like that. That's like really hard to generate, but that's, I mean, again, it gets back to like product differentiation, marketing differentiation. It's like launching a pro was a very unique product and it was a very useful, productive product. And that was in a way it's, its distribution edge is that it was so unique and helped people that people would talk about it, would blog about it, would, um, and it was, and I mean, funny enough, like it was complex enough that people would do a podcast about it, do these blog posts, do YouTube explainer videos, because it was a, because it wasn't so simple to just download it and like make it happen. And so, so yeah. And then like my mirror app, it was ASO. Like it just, it, I, you know, I was able to latch onto the mirror keyword and just mm -hmm. ride that wave. Um, my weather app has been primarily like getting featured and press, but it's not doing well. So, <laughs> you know, it's like, you just can't, you can't rely on those, those kind of sources of traffic. Like as much as you think like, Oh, if I get featured by Apple, like that solves all my problems. It doesn't like you need to find like consistent ways to get attention for your app. And if you can't, it's never going to go anywhere. It's only those that have been featured multiple times. You know, we've helped multiple clients get featured like 34 different clients. And I tell every client, like in the beginning, it was very huge. And I tell them now, it's like, they come to us thinking like, Hey, can you get me get featured? But like, it's not going to make or break your business. Like it's a yeah. nice little trophy again. It's great. It's going to drive some downloads, but at the same time, like you'll be fine if you don't yeah. get featured as well. So. All right. Speaking on the ASO topics, Flutterist asks, I know Flutterist, you asked about revenue. I'd rather not talk about that revenue stuff. It's it's just personal stuff. But what are some ASO tricks for you, David? What are some strategies that are working for you? That's a better question for you, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think, I mean, just generally I'll say, man, and we talked about the, like I was at, yeah, you remember did. I was at your session at the app promotion or what was the, the event in San Francisco in February? February, this February, this past week. Yeah, 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 yeah. You did oh. a, pa a panel with uh, ASO Tactics. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was Mobile Growth. Mobile Growth Summit, yeah, in San, in San I didn't Francisco. Even, I didn't even know I you were there. I was in the audience. We talked. No, no, no. I asked you a did? question or responded. Oh, okay. Yeah, we were talking about Black Hat uh, ASO Tactics. Okay, yeah, yeah. Like really awkwardly, uh, I brought up the Black Hat stuff. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> um, so I think what I was going to say, though, is just like, ASO is, is brutally hard these days. Like, yeah, like it it's like the, the, the black hat stuff that used to work really well does not work. The, the gray hat stuff and like all the techniques that you read about in blogs and stuff, like, you know, if you do everything perfectly, maybe, maybe that like gets you some traction. But I mean, honestly, ASO is, is only as good as like the traffic that you can bring to it. So like, again, it's like, if you don't have a consistent way to get people to see your app, 
you're not going to gain traction in search terms. Like it's just nearly impossible. So if you're not getting word of mouth, if you're not getting press, if you're not getting featured, if you're not paying for ads, if you're not like whatever your strategy is to get attention for your app, like that's primary. Mm. And then, then ASO is fed by that. Like you're not going to get search rankings. You're not going to get like, and I mean, like you still need to optimize your conversions. You need to like work on your screenshots. You need to make sure your icon's great. You need to do a subtitles. Like do, you need to do all of that. But, but my point, my kind of broader point is like, like the tactics are all there. Like there's a million blog posts and everything like that. But what I think a lot of people fail to see is that it starts with getting attention. So like, it doesn't matter. Like if you dial everything in perfectly, like that's not going to get you downloads. Like you got to get the downloads for the, for all these techniques to matter. Yep. I agree. And then Wojciech asked when you were talking about your launch strategy, why don't you do any paid marketing? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've been, a, I've been a bootstrap indie developer for 12 years. Like I've uh, you know, it's just getting to launch is a struggle sometimes like financially. And so um, in paid marketing is, is really hard to do well. Like these days, you know, it seems like, Oh, if I can just like, you know, get, get Facebook's algorithm to, to dial things in, then I'm set. Like, you know, I can spend $10,000 and make 20, but e even if you can spend 10,000 and make 20, like you got to cash flow that. Right. So like you spend 10,000 on a launch and theoretically you're going to make 20, but what's your, what's your, when does ROAS happen? Like it could be 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, 120 days. So how are you going to cash flow that paid advertising until the, the 120 days hit? You know, you can go take out a loan from a bank. You're going to like dip into retirement savings. Like, you know, and, and so, I mean, if, you know, if you're a funded company, if you have investors or whatever, like absolutely like reinforce the rest of your launch strategy with paid marketing. But if you're bootstrapping and you've got like $500 to spend, like, uh, you know, you might be better off again, like just doing simple things like the, the micro influencers and like finding that, um, I mean, the term is so passe, but the guerrilla marketing, it's like, you know, don't go to Facebook and spend 500 bucks. It's just, it's just such a low return on investment. If you have 10, 20, $30,000, absolutely. Um, but if you just have 500, like you got to find ways to stretch that 500. And so as an indie developer, you know, who hasn't had 10,000 to just blow on an app launch, um, I've been really careful to, to, to use other stuff, to use press and, uh, try and get featured by Apple and, and, you know, do other stuff like that. I like it. Hey, David, I don't know if you want to do this and I can set up my phone to get one of these apps, but magpie apps said it'd be useful if David could dissect the subscription paywall, maybe some of the learnings that you've gotten through revenue cat as well, the paywall UI of one of your, one or two of your more popular apps and explain what's working and what's not. What do you think? Uh, that's. I was trying to think. I mean, I actually just watched your uh, fasting app thing hmm. last mm -hmm. couple of weeks when you like dissected, what was it, Fastic? Yeah. Talked about zero and all that stuff. I, don't, I mean, I feel like you've got a ton of content around this, but I mean, if you, uh, I like it. I'll take the plug. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I just feel like, like so much has been written and spilled on this. I mean, I, maybe instead of like doing a dissection, let's just talk like super high level. Um, 
I did do a deep dive. And so this may be really interesting and instructive to some people. Um, I, I, in Subclub, that, that subscription app um, forum that I, I run, um, I recently took a look at uh, Tinder, in which mm-hmm. I, I'm, a, I'm a happily married 41-year-old man with, with four <laughs> kids. So I, uh, I was like, you know, t- told my wife, I was like, look, I'm going to download this Tinder app. You have to like create a profile and stuff. I'm going to create a prick fake profile but like if you see tinder don't worry about our marriage like things are cool um but anyway so it, it was i created was, a real profile okay i just told my wife hey, it's, it's business it's my, it's my job <laughs> um yeah well, at least it wasn't like ashley madison or something then i think <laughs> yeah. it'd be even even harder um I, I guess that probably doesn't even exist anymore but anyway so tinder tinder is really fascinating and it is i mean the thing you have to think about with with understanding paywalls is that you can look at best practices, you can study Tinder, you can study Calm, you can study Headspace, you can like make all these assumptions based on all these different things. But again, it's like what we were talking about with market research is that there's certain like business assumptions and unique reasons why things work for different apps. So Calm has an incredibly simple paywall. It's like a list of benefits and a button. I don't think that's actually a great strategy for a lot of apps because Calm, people coming to Calm have a different mindset, are prepped differently. Um, you know, Calm already has free content. So they're probably coming in with having experienced some content for free. Um, they may be seeing the paywall after tapping, like, I think uh, LeBron James and Matthew McConaughey and like all these stars yeah. Yeah. have been doing um, uh, content for them. So like if you tap on, um, you know, meditation with LeBron James button and the paywall comes up, that is really different than if you're in my weather app and you <laughs> tap on like a, a, you know, advanced forecast thing and you get the paywall. So, so as important as I think it is to look at what is successful in other apps, I think it's even more important to kind of study the context around why those things are successful and try and piece apart why that company is using that specific paywall and, and try and think about why it makes sense for them, but may or may not make sense for you. So Tinder, like, incredible business, right? I mean, they make a ton of money. They're a dating app. So like somebody who hits the paywall on Tinder and, and if you, if you go like do what you and I did and create these fake profiles, um, you see how perfectly aligned the incentives are for when they hit the paywall. So like, mm-hmm. there's like, uh, I forget, there's like some special, like, uh, see your top matches and you see like five top matches and it's like, oh, like, you know, these are people who actually look like good matches. And then then it only gives you five, but then it's like grayed out like five more and you tap on the next one. It's like you hit the paywall. And yeah. so it's like the like understanding the mindset of like where and, and this is so important for your own paywall design. It's like you want to craft an experience around that. Like you want them to hit the paywall 
like yearning for more. And that's again, like what, what Tinder does so incredibly well. It's like, they have a, you know, I mean, they're essentially selling sex, right? So <laughs> they, they've got a, a, an incredible product they're selling. And then they, they find those really strategic moments to hit the paywall. And then some of the things that Tinder also does incredibly well is they have the gold subscription and then they have the plus subscription. And so when you hit a feature that requires plus, they only show you the plus subscription. You don't see like plus compared to gold. You don't see like, you don't see anything else. You just see they're selling you plus. Like you tapped on a feature that requires plus. Here's our plus subscription. And they do have three options. They have, oh, and this is a little like kind of black hat thing, but like there's a six month subscription, a one year subscription and a one month subscription. The prices make it really hard to do comparisons so like the the annual is like 69, the six month is like 32 or, se- or it, it like, I forget the exact numbers, but it makes it really hard in your head to, to do the math of like how, if the six month is better than like, how much better is the six month than the, or how much better is the annual than the six month? And how does that compare to the monthly? It's right. like they pick numbers that aren't like evenly divisible so that it makes it confusing to like, to do that analysis in your head. But anyways, that's kind of an aside, but they just do an incredible job of like, of showing you exactly what you care about. And then another thing they do really well is on top of the subscriptions, they actually monetize via uh, consumable in-app purchases. So if you want to boost your profile to get more views and more likes and more matches or whatever, I forget all the, like what you're accomplishing in there because I never like actually like started a conversation or went on a date (laughs) so but um but you tap on the button to like boost your profile and it's a consumable Mm -hmm. and so uh, it's really fascinating how tinder is able to capture value from the plus subscribers and then capture value from the gold subscribers and then capture value on top of the gold subscribers with these consumables. And so that, that's one thing I think that, that you know, that's what freemium um, free-to-play games do really well is that they allow people to spend more money. And that's one thing I, I don't think, you know, subscriptions are great as recurring revenue, but they're not great at capturing more of the value that you're creating. Because some people are just going to value your app more than others, but if they're all paying the same price, like you're not capturing that additional value that you're creating for those diehard users. And so that's just another thing to think about. It's like, what are ways that 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 I can do that? But then again, you got to look at, at successful apps like Tinder, that they're not showing you 10 different subscription options in a single page. They're really carefully stratifying those purchase experiences and they're doing so to capture as much value as they can and not kind of have the ceiling on what people can pay. Yeah, I like it. All right, let's see. We got about 12 minutes left. I want to get into some of the app audits as well. We, I know there was a question in here by, I forget who, but I think it was Dave or Mark. But anyways, like Mark, if you, like, if you want some advice on how to prove there is a audit that we do, so it's just fill out that form at masters.com slash audit. You can get all that and the audits that we have. I'll try to get through a few while we have David is this one, David, because he wants some more onboarding experience. And I think you as someone who's really 
into products. We can walk you th walk through that and I have the app ready to go. But just rapid fire questions from, we got similar questions from Sunil and then Ramata that says, what would be your advice if you want organic downloads in a short period of time? This is specifically for games. And Sunil says the same thing. How do we get started and drive enough downloads in a short period of time? And I think, you know, just some rapid fire questions and then we'll get into the app audit as well. What do you think, David? Uh, I mean, organics are really tough to get. Like, uh, again, I mean, I think it, it just goes back to a lot of stuff we we're talking about. Like, find a niche that find a niche that you think you can get attention with. Um, and and there are, I mean, there are still keywords on the app store that that you can find and target. Like, if there are only you know four or five apps that do some specific thing, like if you can find a you know, something an accountant needs that they're, that they're actually going to go to the app store and search like, you know, accounting tool helping or whatever. Like it, you can, there are still those niches where you can find keywords that are going to organically drive downloads. But if you're in any like even reasonably competitive keyword, you got to look outside of search organics. And so you just got to find a niche where you can get attention in other ways. Like you just, you got to think about the micro influencers and bloggers and like, you got to find a way to, to get the attention to drive those. So, so, I mean, that's, that's uh, organics like word of mouth and things like that um, are fed by getting that attention. So, so yeah, you got to start with getting the attention and then, and, and think about, and, and you got to think about too, like the organic funnel, like why is somebody going to hear about your app? And if they hear about it, why are they going to care enough to go download it and, and tell those stories, like have an app that has a story to tell so that people will tell it. I like it. And I can't agree with, I agree with everything you said. And I think what we've kind of broken down through this entire interview has been, look, find the right target audience. It doesn't have to be the biggest. And you have to start that early on. I think too many times yeah. they're like, I'm ready to launch. What do I do? I'm like, when are you launching? Oh, <laughs> tomorrow. I'm like, what? You know, these are yeah. things that you should be doing a month in advance and finding well, and these targeted users. Yeah. And you shouldn't even be, I mean, honestly, like if you're trying to make money, if you're, if you're, if you're a hobbyist and just want to release an app, whatever, just build an app and do it. If you're actually wanting to make any money, like you need to understand your marketing plan before you build the app. Because right. if you build an app that is not marketable, it, like you're not going anywhere. So like start with the marketing, then build the app. I like it. All right, Jonathan asks, I have an app that is paid and I have a build ready to go with subscriptions using Revenue Cat. So congrats, hey. Jonathan. <laughs> I'm hesitant. I am hesitant to make the leap. Is it better to use subscriptions? Any tips on validation? So I guess he's very hesitant to go to a subscription type of model. Yeah. Um, so I actually have a great blog post on this. Um, me and then there's. Um, there's a specific quote, and uh, if you'll bear with me to actually just read it, because it's it's really good. Um, ben Baharin runs a a, a, a strategic analysis uh, firm for like big tech companies, and so they're constantly doing consumer research. Um, and so he did research around subscription apps about two years ago, and I helped kind of formulate some of the questions. So normally you would need to pay like. I think they charge five, ten thousand dollars for some of these. You know, charge Apple and these big companies to like get these reports. Um, 
So he, 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 he allowed me to share kind of the summary from one of these subscription reports on this blog. So it's, it's uh, if you search revenue cat, true fans, um, you'll, you'll see this quote, but I just want to read it because I think this just like hits a nail on the head of, of like monetizing via subscriptions. So here's a quote. What came out loud and clear from respondents was their love hate relationship with subscriptions. Countless respondents preferred to pay up front for an app rather than subscribe to it. Most importantly, the comments emphasized that if they had to pay a subscription, they wanted to feel like they were getting their money's worth and that the app would be updated and have new compelling features added regularly. This theme drew me to the conclusion that for a developer to charge a subscription, they must be deeply invested in its continual innovation. If they can achieve this, then the consumer also considers a subscription to this app an investment and one they feel worth the continued price they pay. So that's like a mouthful, but I think that should help. Like consumers don't always love subscriptions. Like we need to acknowledge that, right? Like like at Revenue Cat, we know that like not every app is a good subscription app. We know that like consumers don't want to subscribe to 30 apps. But but what's happening and what's really interesting in the subscription app market is that the the subscription app monetization model allows developers to build better apps because they can rely, they can align themselves more with the value that the subscribers are getting out of the app and build that value. And so I'll, I'll kind of take a little liberty with that quote and say that I don't think consumers only expect innovative new features. Like they don't necessarily care as much about the app being continually updated as much as they care about the, the value that they derive being continuous. So like if you're, if you're, um, if you're launching like a one-off app that allows somebody to like flip a video, like that's not like, that's actually something I went searching for an app for recently. <laughs> um, and, and so it's not delivering me value over time. Like every once in a while I need to flip a video. Every once in a while I need to like scan a document. Every once in a while I need to whatever. Um, so I don't value that tool enough and I don't derive that value over time to warrant a subscription. On the other hand, if you have an app like a weather app that you know you open every day, you get that value out of it on a continual basis. Uh, fasting app we were talking about, like fasting, fitness, meditation, like those apps are very clearly like delivering that value over time. Um, you know, I subscribe to my fitness pal, like the, the improvements that they, the improvements they made to the app annoyed <laughs> me because it like they messed with some stuff and like, I hate the app, but like, I loved being able to track my calories and their, their tools for like finding the food and and um, quickly being able to log and and see your macros like they had just enough like super valuable features that I was willing to pay 60 bucks a year for that. And I used that app consistently over time. So like it doesn't just matter that you continually innovate, but it matters that you're delivering value over time. So if your app is not doing that, don't don't do subscriptions like do do it and a one time in app purchase. Um, you know, find, find a different way to monetize it. Um, so, so I hope, like, I, I think that that's hopefully enough of an answer, but if, if your app does 
deliver that value over time, focus on that value and continue building that value and continue finding innovative ways to deliver that value, whether it's new features or, or different marketing angle or different um, tools for them to help help them better use the app. Like retention is huge in subscription apps. Like, so if you can, if you can build that tool, but then also help them use it over time, then, then you're going to get the better retention and people are going to see more value to actually subscribe and stuff. And yeah. man, there's like so many rabbit holes we could go down on that I too. I, I wasn't a quick fire answer, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I think a lot, I think a lot about this and I talked to a lot of developers about this. Uh, I do one-on-one sessions kind of like this for revenue cat customers. And so, um, so yeah, I talk about this a lot with, with fellow developers. Jonathan, reach out to David. I mean, if you're a paying customer, yeah. definitely reach I have out. A, I have office hours, yeah. Yeah, that's great. Abraham asked, theoretically, how far can you go with marketing and using only ASO? You know, it depends on the app, Abraham. Like I've talked to a lot of different people who have started early on in the app space. And so they were able to leverage ASO. I think if you're just starting now, it's going to be very difficult. You're probably going to have to spend some marketing on ASO. Keyword optimization is obviously important, but building those backlinks on the Play Store, it can get you so far. But if you're trying to do it all for free, it might be a little bit more difficult. I think in the early days, it was a lot easier. I think just trying to launch now, it'd be a little bit harder without really driving, driving paid marketing with ASO. All right, David, feel free to jump in. And then I'm going to try to get through some of these really quick. All right. Oh, Diane. What's up, Diane? Hey, Steve and David. Diane here from Home Inventory. Thanks for the thoughts and subscriptions. Very helpful. Okay, great. Thank you. And then Joe says, how low is too low for the price of a subscription? That's a great question. I don't think there is any too low of a price. It, I mean, it's, it's all value related, right? So, um, fitness apps, there's fitness apps that charge 10, 15 bucks a month and like hundreds of dollars a year. <laughs> What's really interesting is if you think about how consumers are, um, are how their expectations are set. If you're spending $60 a month for a gym membership, $60 a session for a personal trainer, you're buying your gym equipment, you've got a Peloton, like everything yeah. in like that space is crazy expensive. So if, and, and people care, people care deeply about like getting fit and, and increasing muscle mass or different things. So if you're building a tool that like actually adds value in that space, then like you need to price it relative to the, to that value you're creating. Um, for me, like my weather app, that's kind of a struggle. Like I see some weather apps that charge a lot of money and this goes back to like the market analysis thing. Like I think some of them are using more kind of like, um, uh, uh, dark patterns to get people to subscribe at those higher prices. So I, I question whether my market really values the differentiated weather experience high enough to charge 10 bucks a month or these, some of these weather apps charging five bucks a week. Like, I don't think people value weather apps at 200 plus dollars a year. Um, so, you know, my weather app is like, I think right now it's like 199 a month. And we probably are going to bump that up to three bucks a month or like 20 bucks a year or something like that. But, you know, the, you know, there's ways to price test. There's like market research stuff you can do around like price sensitivity and stuff like that. But ultimately, I think, you know, aligning yourself with kind of the value consumer value 
perception. So it, I mean, again, it's like you want to build something that's super valuable, uh, but but if you're in a space that's highly competitive where other apps are providing differentiated experiences like the weather category, where you can't differentiate enough to command that higher price. So it's kind of a combination of the, the, the value you're delivering, the context that consumers will view your pricing at, um, competitors, you know, all those kind of things. But I mean, I don't like 99 cents a month. Um, there is a point at which something feels cheap. And so um, there's a certain perception of like, oh, wow, like somebody's paying five bucks a month for a weather app. Like it, this must be a really good weather app. Um, so there, there, you also got to kind of play those like kind of pricing psychology things is that, you know, 99 cents a month, while it may be more like fair, it might kind of say something about your product that you're pricing it so cheap. Um, but on the other hand, it's like, if you're just, if you're not delivering, you know, five bucks a month worth of value, or there's, it's not a niche that like values what you do enough. I mean, honestly, you probably just want to build a different app or like <laughs> build more value. Um, so maybe that's the answer. It's like, I mean, if you, if you're just not delivering enough value, sure. Like keep a lower price, but like your goal should be to be delivering enough value to charge more. Hey, Dave, let me ask you this. And there's a question in here that is sort of along these lines. But what we've found and what I've tried to promote to or I've tried to advocate to developers is try to push that yearly option, right? Like because yeah. what we found is that lifetime value goes up. Obviously, your revenues per download goes up because the, the average order size goes up. Have yeah. you guys and what we've seen from clients is that when you get when people sign up for the monthly, they're actually likely to cancel. There, there's a little inclination that they're yeah. more likely to cancel. They're just trying out the app and Obviously, your lifetime value for that monthly user is going to be a lot lower from what we found versus the yearly. So, have you do you agree with that data? And obviously, you have yeah. a lot of data with RevenueCat as well. Yeah. I think, um, so, we actually, uh, this is actually personally quite exciting. We um, <laughs> just hired a data scientist at RevenueCat, and he's a very popular uh, guy at RevenueCat now <laughs> because we, <laughs> like everybody else on the team, uh, is just really excited to to get those insights. So um, so what's, what's really fun, and you and I were kind of talking about this before the, the podcast, is like uh, being developer advocate at RevenueCat part-time and running my business part-time, I... I get the best of both worlds. I get to have my cake and eat it too. So on the revenue cat team, like we're just building super cool stuff for subscription apps. And then I get to use them as a developer. And then, you know, we just hired a data scientist. So I'm super excited about like the data projects we're going to do, but guess what? Now my like simple little subscription apps as an indie developer have a data scientist who's going to like <laughs> be working on our dashboard to like provide the kind of insights I've always wanted to get on my subscriptions, but don't have the resources to go pay a data scientist to come analyze my data. Um, so anyways, one, to, so to answer the question, it's just kind of brought up, this is something like I actually just emailed the team yesterday. Like, when do I get to like, when do I get to sit down with the data scientist and dig through this data? <laughs> so it's like really top of mind because I'm, I'm like, Super excited, as you can probably tell. Um, so that's actually something that we're probably going to be doing um, blog posts about in the not too distant future and potentially even like doing some kind of benchmarking in our dashboard or, or something like that where, you know, trying to help people understand, um, you know, what those conversion rates look like, what, you know, how people... Uh, what retention rates are like on a monthly versus an annual subscription and stuff like that. But I, I think to, to answer the, the question more specifically, 
I think it depends a lot on the app, right? Because it's like Netflix doesn't offer annual subscriptions. They offer monthly. They don't offer lifetime. You know, they, but they're very confident in the value they deliver that people just stay subscribed. So if, if, if you have an app that is super valuable, that people are, um, you know, staying, using it for years, then pushing people to a, a higher monthly. Cause it, it, you know, for some people it just fits their budget. Like, Oh, I can just pay five bucks a month for that. And that's easy. Like $60 is a stretch to, to, so you, so if you've got the great app that has retention, a monthly subscription can actually make you more money and make your customer more happy because they can just budget that, you know, it feels like pennies a month, you know, it's, oh, I just, you know, don't get one Starbucks a month and <laughs> I can pay for this app. Whereas like 60 a year can be like a big ask, but five bucks a month is more than is, is 60 a year, but is, uh, but feels cheaper. So, so yes, pushing people to the annual, um, can increase the lifetime value, especially especially if the people are just going to cancel anyway. So so you just look at your stats. Like if if you are seeing a lot of cancellations on the week on the on the monthly, then remove it as an option or or make it much more expensive as a price anchoring to push people to the annual. Yeah, I love it. Cool. But I, I mean, like ultimately, it. you want to you would want to be able to charge monthly because you would want people to be getting enough value out of your app. And then that goes back to all the product stuff. Like, what are you doing product-wise to like actually deliver the value? What are you doing to like keep them coming back to the app and getting that value? Like, is this a product that is valuable to consumers and you know all that? I love it. All right, just a quick fire question here. Damn, comedy says, would you recommend using ads? I do say if you're running on iOS. Try Apple Search Ads Basic. You can run events, and there's ways to do the events that is sort of mimics the basic. So that's one thing that I would give because you can say, look, Apple, I only want to pay a cost per install of this much to get those early users and that early feedback. But I'm going to put together something where we're going to talk all about like side hustle tactics that if you're indie, here's some tactics that you can use for a couple hundred dollars to really stretch out your marketing. So that's what yeah, I would say. That's that's the same advice I give too, is that cool. Apple search ads are, the, are generally the most cost effective. And one of the reasons they are, <clears throat> is because of user intent. And this is something to think about in all of your marketing efforts. It's like, what intent are you generating with your marketing? So somebody who comes to the app store and searches weather, they're not just like browsing Facebook and happen to see an ad for weather. They're actually going <laughs> to the app store and saying like, I care enough to spend a few minutes of my time to search weather because I want a better weather app. And so those Apple search ads users are, are going to deliver a higher LTV. And a lot of people make this mistake too, is that they see a really high LTV and think that that's scalable. Um, so like if, if, if you get amazing return on ad spend from Apple search ads, like, oh, well, I can just spend that much on Facebook and, and I'm, I'm generating this high LTV so I can go spend, you know, $2 a user on Facebook. But you, you got to understand why you're getting that LTV and Apple search ads especially on a budget, it's just incredible because it's delivering those really highly targeted, highly incentivized users who are likely to have some of your highest LTV if you can get them into the app and onboarded and, and um, starting your free trial and everything. 
All right, David, we still got some questions. I want to be respectful of your time as well. Maybe we'll end with this and then we'll give, we'll give a plug. The magpie says, all right, David, and this is very timely with iOS 14. What do you think of the IDFA related updates on iOS 14 and how is it going to affect monetization? Um, man, so I have like 10 pages of notes for a blog post that was supposed to go out three weeks ago. It is a disaster. (laughs) It is a mess. Um, what do I think? Um, I, and this is, you know, probably the summary that I'm going to give in this post that will hopefully go out next week. Um, I'm concerned that there's that this is going to drive a bit of a kind of recession on the app store. <laughs> um, and I don't think Apple fully anticipated how deeply this could potentially impact the market. Um, so many of the tools that have been built up over the last five or 10 years, or really more five years since Apple released the IDFA with iOS 6, um, they're all they're built around these highly targeted ads, and they're built around being able to measure the return on those ads. And so Apple just threw a huge monkey wrench in the ability to target the ads and an ability to measure the return on those ads. I'm hopeful that Apple will make some adjustments over time, um, but you know. Facebook and Google for, for all the you know negative aspects on privacy and stuff, I I would argue, and I don't know if I'll phrase it this way in the blog post, but like they have increased the GDP of the app store. Like, you know, Stripe talks about increasing the GDP of the internet. Like, like Facebook and Google, through creating incredibly efficient ways to acquire users, have increased spending on apps. Like there would be less spending on the app store if it weren't for the efficiency through which developers can acquire users. Um, so I'm concerned that the that a reduction in that efficiency is going to reduce spending on apps. Like, you know, developers are going to have to adjust their marketing budgets and adjust their spend. That spend is likely going to become less efficient and less targeted. I kind of think this potentially hurts like smaller developers, kind of small mid-tier developers a little more. The big developers can afford to, um, you know, purchase new tools, bring things in-house, adjust. You know, they can afford for efficiency to not be quite what it has been in the past. But some of the like mid-tier apps that are spending $50,000, $60,000 a month on ads rely on that kind of efficiency and certain products just rely on the targeting. It's like, you know, if you're not able to do that, those super highly targeted ads and then measure the return on those and optimize them, like I think some products just, you know, cease to to grow and, and potentially retract. Um, now, from a privacy standpoint, I think it's fantastic. Like I've had IDFA Turn, I've had limit ad tracking turned on for years because I don't want these shady data brokers hoovering up all of my data and all my app usage and my location and all that kind of stuff. So I think it's I think it's a boon for privacy. And I think I think it's absolutely what Apple should do for consumers. Um, but I think the fallout is is gonna be really interesting to watch. Now, I think that this is going to impact great 
products, less than it's going to impact products where their success is more dependent on on highly efficient marketing spend. So like we were talking about earlier, like some of these like wallpaper apps and stuff, like they're able to charge what they charge or they're able to make what they make because they use these highly targeted ads, push people through a dark pattern funnel, make enough money to then go back and spend a bunch. Uh, and they're just churning through users really quickly. Like people aren't staying subscribed to those five, like very few people forget when they're paying five bucks a week for a wallpaper app, like they churn through subscribers very quickly. And it's just a tiny fraction of them that forget and end up paying the $250 a year. And so apps that don't have strong products that retain users that, that, you know, drive word of mouth that they're going to be impacted much more. Um, and so a lot of those kind of apps, have focused on building out these marketing engines versus building out a great product. And so the apps that have focused either on both or focused more on being a great product, potentially, you know, are going to have a little bit of an advantage in the fall. Um, but yeah, we'll just, I don't know. It's, it's, uh, I don't know how it's all going to play out, <laughs> but uh, it's, it's, it's going to be a wild ride. Like, I mean, depending on whether or not Apple changes, I mean, I don't think they're going to make any changes to the idea effect. Like it's clear, like data brokers have been, you know, building these profiles without user consent, without regulation, without, you know, and it's nearly impossible for Apple to, to regulate and punish and find and everything. So I see very little chance that Apple changes their policy. They may delay it. Like if they really think like this is going to create a recession on the App Store, they may delay it. But but the IDFA is going away. Um, so what they might be able to change is either potentially delaying it so companies have more time to adjust. But then also SKI Network is actually pretty cool. Like there, there's there's some great stuff that they're doing with that because you know you have all these MMPs that that are in the are middleman between the ad networks and the platforms and the developers. And so if we can get um, Apple attribution versus having to rely on these third parties or rely on Facebook to do their own attribution, it could be an incredible thing for the um, ecosystem over the long haul. Um, but in the short term, SK Ad Network leaves a lot to be desired. Like there's, it's just not feature complete. So they're, they're kind of taking, they're pulling the rug out from under all the current tools but then they're not offering enough to replace it yet. So yeah, it's going to be a wild ride. <laughs> All right. Well, none of this is anything that I know anything about. So I'm glad you're here yeah. to answer all these questions, but all right, David, this might be a good way to say goodbye as well. Will and Lids asked the same question. David, are you available for a consultation to provide advice before I launch my app? Of course they're willing to pay. And then Lids said the same thing. I have the same questions of Will. So where would you want the audience to contact you if you they wanted some I, consultation help? I, <laughs> if I, you even want it. I have considered doing consulting, but it's it's really just kind of not my my gig. If you're if you're a revenue cat customer or a subscription app, I do do office hours. So um, you can get in touch with me, David at revenuecat.com. Um, you know, personally, I love building products and building apps. And so like, 
you know, that when I'm not working for revenue cut, I want to build my products. Um, so I, I, I don't want to, I don't want subscription. I mean, consulting clients, sorry. I just, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, maybe if, you know, I mean, maybe if you offer me more money than I can refuse, I'd consider it. But at this point, like I just, I'm really not interested in, in uh, taking on consulting services. But again, if you're a subscription app, uh, and you want to chat, uh, get in touch, david at revenuecat.com, and, and I'll send you a link to my office hours. Um, yeah. Cool. So, David, thank you so much for coming on. If you guys do want to check out David's app, here they are. We got Weather App, Launch Center Pro, Group Text. So go check, just Google or search for any of these apps. And they're, they're only iOS, right, David? Yeah, I don't do yeah. any Android. Yeah, so that was a question in there, but I wanted to make sure we answered that as well. So contrast.co is the website if you want to get in touch with David, non-consulting related type of questions. And then definitely go, <laughs> definitely go check out Revenue Cat if you have a subscription-based app and you want to see all the numbers. And the cool thing that I heard David talk about too with Revenue Cat is if you see, you can actually, Revenue Cat will actually give you visibility on people who actually cancel. Like you don't have to wait a year. They, let's say a user signs up for a a yearly subscription, but they immediately cancel. You don't have to wait that long to know that they canceled. Revenue Cat will show you that data as well. So go check out Revenue Cat. We'll, do we'll, it we'll trigger yeah. a webhook too, which is super cool. So like you can send out a, a cancellation survey within hours of them hitting, turning off that auto renew. Wow. Yeah. So we can trigger webhooks, push that to Mixpanel or Amplitude or your own data warehouse. So yeah, we've we got some, if you're a subscription app, like, I mean, you know, I work there, so it's, it's, uh, you can take this for what it's worth, but like, I also use the product personally and like, we're building some really cool stuff for subscription apps. So I, I'm super excited. Like we, you know, we have a huge team dedicated just to building cool stuff for subscription apps. So it's uh, awesome. <laughs> kind of sells itself over time. We'll do a deeper dive on Revenue Cat in the future yeah. as well. Thank you guys for joining. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, Lids. Thank you, Magpie Apps as well. I apologize that we couldn't get through some of these app audits. I will get to that next week where we may or may not have a guest. So maybe we can get through all these app audits and answer any your questions. David, if the audience wants to follow up, besides all the websites I've mentioned, do you want to send them anywhere else? Uh, I mean, you can follow me on Twitter. I rant about all sorts of crap on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> DR Barnard on Twitter. DR Bernard on Twitter, and I'll link that into the show notes as well. David, thank you so much for coming on and doing this. Hey, this is a blast, Steve. Thank you guys for being here. We'll see you guys next week, same time, Friday, 9 a.m. Pacific. Thank you guys for joining. I appreciate you all, and I'll see you next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to the App Masters Podcast. For show notes and amazing app marketing content, check out appmasters.co.